Hey everyone, if you love ice cream as much as I do, you need to hear about my particular favorite, Magnum Ice Cream. They are the best at pairing decadent chocolate with velvety ice cream, and recently, the incredible team Extraordinaries there came out with a new flavor featuring the recently discovered Cacao Ruby. Ruby is the first chocolate variant in 80 years and has a little bit of a berry flavor and it's delicious. And they came in cute mini sizes, which makes them perfect for sharing with your loved ones. So next time you go out and get ice cream, definitely get a Magnum ice cream bar and try the new Magnum Ruby minis. Yum. Hi everyone, you're listening to Superwomen. Today's guest is Mia Rigdon, the founder of Rasa Life. And we talk about health and wellness and getting your priorities straight. So take a listen. Hey Mia, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. So I'm joined by Mia Rigdon, the founder of Rasa Life, who has incredible tips for what you want to eat, what you shouldn't eat, and how she founded this incredible company. One of the first questions I wanted to ask for our audience was, what does Rasa mean? So rasa means taste in Sanskrit. And what I really like about the word is that in Ayurvedic traditions, the way something tastes is indicative of its nutritional properties. So it's kind of twofold. First of all, the idea allows you to really think about your cravings as far as what your body needs. And also the idea that healthy food should be really flavorful, not bland. And that if you're eating a nutritious meal, there should be a a really dynamic flavors, not this like boring kale salad or like bird food, like a lot of people associate with eating air quotes healthy. Totally. I I hate (laughs) it when people assume that just because it's healthy, it it has to taste bad. Yeah. It should taste better. Yes. Agreed. So I want to first start talking with you. Um, Growing up, what was your relationship with food? What did you eat and how did you feel about food? I know many women have just lots of emotions regarding food. Mm -hmm. Well, I grew up in Northern California, right outside of San Francisco, and my parents are phenomenal cooks. We went to the farmer's market every Saturday. I just, I grew up, I think like one of the first Whole Foods is in the town I grew up in. So I grew up exposed to a lot of that, but I wasn't necessarily like crunchy granola healthy. I ate a lot of Twinkies and just like any other normal kid, but my parents didn't really restrict it. So I was a very adventurous eater. If I wanted to eat a bunch of candy and get sick, they let me do that. But then we'd go to Sushi Friday nights and I was like using chopsticks and eating raw fish (laughs) from a very young age. So I've always loved food. And then in my 20s, I moved to New York and I was in the restaurant world because again, I loved food. And so I had this very weird balance of like dining out. I did PR for some fantastic restaurants. I worked for Danielle Balud for years. So I had exposure to this amazing, amazing food, but then I would feel guilty about it and do these horrific juice cleanses that were so hard to do while working in New York City. Um, So I just felt really out of balance. And that was part of what inspired me to get into nutrition. And so what was that path to get into nutrition and then starting Rasa? How did you kind of start that? Because here you left probably a comfortable career uh, Mm -hmm. to go into the void and, and start something new. Well, it's interesting. So my grandmother was a dietitian. She went to Carnegie Mellon in the 30s and just was a trailblazer. I mean, she was slathering coconut oil over everything when no one else wanted to do any have anything to do with fats. So she was just incredible. So I was exposed to this and I wanted to do something health related for a long time, but somehow I got into this fine dining world, which was also very exciting, but my, my now husband got transferred to Hong Kong and I went with him. Um, and when we were in Asia, I was still doing restaurant PR, but kind of had an opportunity to step back and think about what I really wanted to do. And that's when I enrolled in the Institute of Integrative Nutrition because it was, it was a good 
tester. It wasn't a huge time commitment or a huge monetary commitment to see like, do I want to work in in wellness and nutrition? Is this a viable career for me? And then I went part-time at my job in Hong Kong to focus on building another business so that when I did move back to New York, I would have something instead of having to start over with you know, with nothing. Right. And so sometimes when you're launching a business, for a moment, it's your friends and your immediate family. Mm -hmm. I remember that moment when it was just that. And then something changes and you're like, oh, wow, other people know about this, or I see a bag on the street on a stranger. Um, So what was that moment like for you? And how did you feel about, you know, when someone came to you or you saw other people aside from your close friends and family discovering Ross Life? Well, it started, I, I just did a group detox in January, January a few years ago, or maybe five years ago for friends and family uh, after completing my nutrition course. And I was amazed by the end of it that people lost weight, their blood pressure was lower, they had their skin cleared up, they had more energy and the results that they got, it was amazing. And it was really the first time that I got the satisfaction of what it's like to help people. And then, of course, it took me a year uh, to actually turn that into a business. And I started slowly. Uh, and then when I moved back to New York was really the time when I had to hustle uh, and try and get my name out there. And now I feel like I'm finally seeing some of the the benefits of it and people that are hearing of hearing of my business without me having to, you know, really self-promote so hard. <laughs> yeah, totally. I feel like self-promotion never ends, though. No, it doesn't. <laughs> it's a hustle for sure. <laughs> So one of the things I love exploring is people's networks. And so I'm wondering if you have a female support network or Mm -hmm. women that just sort of help you be a better woman, be a better entrepreneur, be a better friend that kind of helped you also, you know, keep you going when times are tough because we all know that they can be real tough. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I have this incredible network of girlfriends who are all entrepreneurs. It's kind of amazing. Even at my wedding, I think all of my bridesmaids owned their own business. And they're not all in wellness. Uh, Actually, I don't think any of them are. Now I have some friends in wellness. But uh, they have been so incredibly supportive. And we support each other. Because I think the hardest thing about about it is when you're working alone, you don't have any employees, and you're just kind of sitting at your desk or on your couch or in a coffee shop, it's very hard not to doubt yourself and not to feel uncomfortable, you know, posting a photo of yourself on Instagram or like something like that. But, you know, having these girlfriends who are going through the same thing and doing it and acting as my cheerleader and I'm doing the same for them has just been really uh, super valuable. So one of the things that we say at our company is um, we love it when women come together to change the world or throw a dinner party. I know that my husband and I have a deep passion for cooking and and the fun of, you know, preparing a meal all day and eating it is something we really uh, love to do. So what is it about cooking and eating you think, especially now, I feel like food is something people are spending more money on than, in, you know, mm-hmm. than clothes or bags. So why do you think it has that power? First of all, I love that saying. That's amazing and very true. There is nothing, in my opinion, more meditative than having a dinner, a delicious meal uh, with good friends or family. I think it's such a great opportunity to disconnect, to eat great food, maybe have a couple of glasses of wine and just to really be present. Uh, And I find that a lot of our wellness culture these days is centered around what not to eat and being fearful of foods or worried about going off your diet that can make these dinner party situations really stressful. Uh, so I try to promote the opposite. I throw a lot of dinner parties at my house. I love a dinner party. I prefer it over a restaurant any <laughs> <Yeah>. day. <laughs> well, you're welcome over anytime. <laughs> I'm, I'm coming. Um, so interestingly enough, I feel that some women in, in our moment of 
uh, very exciting times of, you know, feminism are sort of eschewing cooking because it's a, Mm -hmm. it's a traditional, you know, old school thinking of women should be in the kitchen. Whereas I love to be in the kitchen. And for me, again, it's meditative, it's Mm de-stressing. So why do you think we're entering a phase where women don't want to learn how to cook or if they think if they know how to cook, it's bad? I think it's a feminist backlash. I mean, I think there's a lot of reasons, but I, I I understand it. It's like, I have a career. I don't need to make you dinner. So what I really think needs to happen, I think everyone should know how to make their own meals and make a meal for someone else. I think it's really satisfying and also just a good skill to have. But I think everyone needs to get involved in the kitchen. I think men need to become better cooks. And I know a lot of men are very interested in cooking. And I think that's fantastic. And that women should know how to cook too, that it should really be like a family event, something that you guys do together, preparing a meal. Yeah. One of the things that was shocking to me was my husband was a terrible cook and we did some Mm -hmm. meal delivery programs for probably the summer, last summer. And now he got this confidence because he could put those meals together that now he's a way better cook than I've ever been. So cooking is a muscle. I think it's like anything. No one's like born knowing how to, you know, use a whisk. Nope, definitely (laughs) not. (laughs) So what are some of the challenges you encountered when launching your brand into a space that is crowded? There's lots Mm -hmm. of other, you know, programs and only a certain, let's say, uh, income level can sort of afford what you're doing? Well, one of the, something that happened to me about a year or so ago that just sticks into my mind, I was meeting with an editor from a prominent magazine and she asked me what my wellness modality was. And it's a great question. And I kind of froze. I was like, what is my wellness modality? What is modality? That's what I want to know. What's your thing? Like, are you paleo? Are you vegan? Are you this? And I kind of freaked out because I was like, I don't have a thing. Oh my gosh, I need a thing. I'm a fraud. I need, (laughs) why why don't I have like a word to describe what I'm doing? So that prompted a lot of soul searching for me. And through my client work, what I discovered is that I don't have a thing. I, I mean, I try to work with people and help them to incorporate healthier routines into their life. Like they don't need to fit into my life and my way of eating. And I also just kind of reject the notion that your diet needs to have a name. I mean, I just think it's, I mean, unless there's some like, you know, moral or medical reason why you have to follow a specific plan, I feel like it almost sets us up for failure because if you're trying to be so strict on something and then like you have one, you know, you're paleo and then you have like a grain of rice and then you're just like ruining the whole thing and it just makes you feel bad. We're so hard on ourselves. Yeah. I'm hard on myself too. I'm like, I'm going to be paleo all week and on the weekends I'll be gluten-free. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm driving myself yeah, crazy. Why do we need to put a name to it? Right. It's true. I never thought of it like that. So sometimes, you know, when going through either a career change or an evolution, there's fear, right? Mm -hmm. And so I want you to talk a little bit about, you know, you had a cushy PR job. You probably could have kept coasting doing that. And then you decided to start your own business, which is sometimes very scary for people. So what was sort of that moment where you said, I'm going to do it even if I'm scared or take me through that? I find stress and fear in the right situation to be extremely motivating. This is just kind of who I am. Like I put my mind to something and I do it. I've never not. So it's just, I mean, I moved to New York when I was 22. I didn't know a soul. My parents thought I was crazy. They were like, it snows in New York. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, no, I'm doing it. And so I just, that's how, that's what drives me. Uh, so I like to have goals and to reach them and then to create the next goal while I'm still working on my first goal. Totally. I moved here at 18. My parents also thought I was crazy and they were like, please come home. Please come home. My parents are still asking me to come home. (laughs) (laughs) Something else I wanted to talk about is 
there's a practical side to Rasa. Mm-hmm. Um, do you find that with all of the conversation of body positivity, inclusiveness, confidence, um, are all those things you try and also uh, spread wise words or kind words about with regards to you and your community? Absolutely. I One of the main themes that comes up time and time again for me is that there is a difference between being healthy and being skinny. Uh, I find that a lot of the wellness fodder on the internet or on social media or whatever is, you know, people are using the term healthy or wellness to be thin. And of course, there's nothing wrong with being thin. That's fine. But I think that, you know, we want to do it in a way that is healthy and supportive of our body. So I really my goal is to always be very positive with my clients and just in general with whatever I put out on social media or anyone that I'm meeting. I find that there's just too much like negative information and body sensitivity issues, body image issues are that, you know, they're very real. And I think we need to be sensitive to those things. And one thing that I do notice with my clients is um, there's this fixation on numbers is like, you know, you're counting calories, like how many grams of protein should I have, like really obsessed with some number on the scale. And what I always tell them is that like, you are not a number, like this is such an arbitrary measure of your worth or how pretty you are or how good you are or whatever. Like that's just not, it's just not true. There's so many things that go into what the number on the scale says. I mean, body fat is like a relatively small portion of that. And same with calories. Calories can be completely arbitrary. Um, So what I find is that after I've worked with a client for a certain period of time, they started with this like number in their mind as their goal. And then they just start to feel good and feel comfortable. And the number starts to matter less and less. I need that to happen to me. (laughs) Let's work on it. (laughs) So one of the things that I find as, as a parent and also wanting to stay healthy, trying to navigate is food is everything's in plastic, um, Mm -hmm. basically, you know, except for at the farmer's market. And then, you know, you're trying to have organic or non-GMO and there's so many labels and it's confusing and I'm sure it's overwhelming for people. So what is an easy sort of way, if there is one, to sort of know you're eating healthy and hopefully quality ingredients that you're not just filling your, you know, gut with pesticides and or non-organic or genetically modified stuff. And if you want to do that, great. At least you know what you're doing. Yeah. I The thing that irks me the most with food marketing is when people are really trying to eat healthy. I'll see my clients' food diaries and I'll ask them about what brands they're using and to clean out their pantry and just to look at the labels. And they're buying almond milk and cashew butter and all these things that have like, you know, just these these food marketers are putting, putting sugar in it and they're putting processed oils in it and that are highly inflammatory and, you know, bad for our health. And that's the thing that really makes me sad is that you have to be super diligent to read every label and be really wary of anything that's in a package. That said, I mean, I just walked past the Union Square Farmer's Market and there is an abundance of amazing produce and you can talk to the farmer, you can buy eggs from them. There, You know, you have to educate yourself. What I always tell people is just take an hour at the grocery store, like schedule it if you have to, and go in there and look on the back of everything that you buy because there is a good alternative to everything. You just have to figure out what it is and take the time to research it. And then you can just then continue buying those products and supporting those uh, companies that are more truthful and honest about what they put in their food. Right. And something I heard, and maybe you can confirm or deny the rumor, that most uh, farmers market farmers don't have the money to go through the legal requirements to become certified as organic, but a lot of them are. Is that really true? So you can maybe be buying organic food and... 
That would make sense. I mean, I would just talk to the farmers. I find that they're always so nice and they like to chat with people and you can learn about their story. And it's nice to be able to buy things directly from the source. Totally. Do you ever feel like you want to get active in legislation or helping to pass laws so that things are more clear? I mean, yeah, I am especially passionate about the food options that are available to children and to lower income populations that maybe only have access to fast food. I find that to be just a huge issue in this country. When you go to Europe or Mexico, even like there's people are eating home cooked meals at whatever income level. Right. And we don't have that. And they have access to fresh food. And we don't have that in the United States. And the research behind, you know, what you eat and how you feel mentally and how you can perform at work and all of, you know, so at your lifespan, your health span, all these other things is staggering. So like why we can't subsidize farmers markets in low income areas or teach children how to cook. I know there's a lot of great organizations that are doing that, but that's something that I'd love to get involved in. Totally. I want everyone to have a garden. Yeah, me too. (laughs) So what are some simple and easy and affordable steps, you know, our listeners can take to live a more Rasa-like life? Eat more vegetables. I always say you don't have to be a vegetarian to eat a lot of vegetables. Um, So eating a wide diversity of vegetables is probably one of the best things that you can do to like immediately impact your health. Every vegetable has its own mix of vitamins and nutrients and minerals. Um, And then also, so the more diversity that you include, it's like taking a multivitamin, the more nutrition you're going to get. And then also like more vegetables, especially the leafy green kind are so incredibly good for your gut. And if you have more vegetables on your plate, you're just naturally not going to have more room for like the pasta or like, you know, the bread. I once read, and again, I hope no one takes me up on my statistics, but like (laughs) more than half of your hormones are produced in your gut versus your brain. And so if your gut is in in a bad state, you know, you'll more likely to be depressed or have have anxiety. Um, So have you seen that people's, you know, naturally change by just introducing more and more fresh vegetables and fruit? It's actually remarkable. I've had multiple clients that have suffered from depression or mood disorders that started incorporating more plant-based foods into their diet, and it's completely changed them. And they've been going to psychologists for years, and I'm definitely not a trained doctor or psychologist. But um, yeah, they say that over 90% of your serotonin 90. is made in your gut, I'm your glad serotonin I said specifically. Half, but thank you for um, 90. I don't know about every hormone, but yeah, a lot of your hormones are made in your gut and like your, you know, the connection between they call your gut your second brain and they're actually this research on the microbiome is relatively new I mean we're really only scratching the surface of how that impacts the our whole life I always like to think of nutrition I don't like to think of nutrition in isolation I think of it as the center and everything else as spokes on the wheel so when you wake up in the morning and you're feeling good because you're eating well then you're gonna be nicer to your taxi driver or the barista or your coworkers and I feel like that just like changes the karma circle of your day and when you're feeling good and you put that energy out there you're gonna get that back totally Agreed. Um, So one of the things I like to ask every one of my interviewees is um, I share a story of something people would be surprised to know about me. You can feel free to do the same. (laughs) Um, Your grandmother will appreciate this diet because I think it was from the 30s. But when I first moved here and I thought I should, I don't know, someone said you should be a model. You're tall and skinny. I was like, okay. And I went to a modeling agency and he literally reached over and said, you're too fat. And I said, where? And he grabbed my stomach fat, which which I still have. And so I very quickly, I don't know, Google diets, like extreme diets, and it was heavy cream and celery. 
um, a pint of heavy cream a day because it like <laughs> squashes your appetite. So you don't want to eat it all and then celery to keep you Did moving. You feel sick. <laughs> I lasted like two days and then I was like, oh my God, I'm going to die. And I quickly ran to the nearest bodega and got a yogurt or whatever, whatever it is I had to eat. So that was a moment I'll never forget. And I, my relationship with celery will never be the same. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. <laughs> Although I love celery. <laughs> <laughs> so do you have anything that in this journey you've had that people would, might be surprised to know? Well, in college, uh, my roommate will attest to this. I used to eat a jar of pickles a day. Wow. Yeah, it was gross. Like a big jar? How, how big um, are It was like about? the Trader Joe's kosher dills. Nice. And I would have to hide the empty pickle jars from my roommate because she thought I was so weird. I still like pickles, but I don't eat that many. I'm just amazed <laughs> that you didn't get like sores on the inside of your mouth. Like I if know, I have too much was, vinegar, it's like, oh. I was young. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> I have a friend who used to just eat soup out of soup cans, not heated up. And so she would hide them under her bed because I thought she was weird. Okay, so I'm not alone. Not alone. <laughs> I don't know anyone who wants cold soup, but I get you on the pickles. <laughs> um, so my last question I wanted to ask you is, you know, a large part of my brand mission and part of why I'm doing this is because I want more women to support other women. So I'm sure a lot of my listeners are women. And mm -hmm. if not, we love you too. But uh, what advice would you want to leave them with? Be generous. I think, you know, there. if you have the opportunity to help someone, whether it's making an introduction or, you know, chatting through an idea with them or lending some other sort of advice, like, do it. Like, tag your friends on Instagram. Like, there's enough followers for everyone. Like, we should all just be giving, giving, giving and not competing against each other. Mia, thank you so much. This was so fun and uh, I can't wait to live the Rasa life. Awesome. That was Mia Rigdon. You can find out more about her and what she's up to at the Rasa life. Thank you for listening. Please don't forget to rate and review. It's really important. It helps us with the algorithm. It helps make sure that we keep populating and being recommended to more listeners.